Now that we've raised alarms over lithium toxicity, MAOI interactions, and lamotrigine rash, we're going to change course with a final commandment that reminds us what psychopharmacology is really all about. Welcome to the Carlette Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlette Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. We are ready to close the book on this series with the final 10th commandment, one that puts the first nine in perspective. But first, let's recap. One, do not worsen mental illness with psychiatric medications, like don't use antidepressants in mania or psychostimulants in psychosis. Two, avoid stopping meds abruptly, particularly benzodiazepines, serotonergics, and lithium. Three, prevent lithium toxicity by checking interactions, age, and renal function. Four, stop lamotrigine if any rash develops in the first three months. Five, do not combine benzodiazepines and opioids in patients at high risk for overdose death. Six, honor thy MAOI interactions, but get up to date on the new diet data. Seven, controlled substances shall be controlled by you. Eight, Avoid unwise medication combos like benzos and stimulants or stimulants and antipsychotics. Nine, avoid valproate, Depakote, in pregnancy. Today, we end with number 10. Do not avoid effective medications just because they carry risks. This commandment is going to uncover a paradox in psychiatry. Some of the medications we avoid because of their medical risks are also the very ones that help patients live longer. We're talking about lithium, quetiapine, and clozapine. But first, a preview of the CME quiz for this episode. Clozapine is FDA-approved for treatment-resistant schizophrenia and which other condition? A. Treatment-resistant bipolar mania B. Treatment-resistant aggression. C. Suicidal behavior in schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. Or D. Psychosis in Parkinson's disease. Good practice is not about avoiding risks. It's about balancing them against the benefits of treatment. Those benefits are not limited to symptom reduction and quality of life. Untreated psychiatric illness worsens physical health, causing inflammation and disrupting the endocrine, GI, cardiac, and immune systems. The net toll is about a 10-year reduction in lifespan, according to several studies of chronic mental illnesses, like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. One of those studies puts the risks of treatment in perspective. It was a study of six and a half million people from Sweden, and they found that bipolar disorder lowered life expectancy by 10 years, and not because of suicide. The top causes of death here were all medical. One, heart disease. Two, stroke. Three, cancer. Four, diabetes. Five, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and six, pneumonia and influenza. Suicide and accidental injuries were lower on the list, 
But when we turn to the appendix of that study, we find a ray of hope. They further analyze the life expectancy by medication use, and most evidence-based medications prolonged the lifespan in bipolar. This is a secondary finding, and it's subject to confounding bias, since they might selectively use some medications for some kinds of patients. So the ranking of these meds by mortality risk is not so reliable, but it is revealing and surprising. The medications that were associated with the longest increase in life expectancy in bipolar disorder were lithium, lamotrigine, and quetiapine, Seroquel. Quetiapine? That's a real shock. That med has nearly a dozen black box warnings, and the added weight and metabolic problems it brings can't be the reason it is making people live longer. And lithium is not exactly free of medical risks either. Lithium didn't surprise me as much, actually. Lithium slows down two of the biological processes involved in aging. The way that DNA strands tend to shorten as we age, they crumble at their telomeric ends, like the way the edges of a paperback book get ragged with time. And the other aging effect it slows is epigenetic aging effects, where DNA is altered by processes like methylation and chromatin remodeling. Now, there's even some evidence that animals live longer if they take a little lithium, but I wouldn't expect the average person to live longer if they took quetiapine. So it's more that these medications are treating the mental illness, the bipolar disorder itself. In a lot of ways, the brain is the captain of the ship, directing the endocrine, circadian, digestive, cardiac, and even the immune system. A healthier brain means a healthier body. That's probably closer to what is going on here, and that may explain why lithium, lamotrigine, and quetiapine were particularly good at lowering the mortality rate. And why is that? These meds have the strongest antidepressant effects in bipolar disorder, at least among the options that were available in 2013 when the study was done. Lamotrigine lowers the risk of depression by 50% and lithium and quetiapine had the strongest preventative effects against depression in a meta-analysis by Terence Ketter. Mania and depression are both bad for health. Some studies find that manic symptoms take an even bigger toll on health than depression, for example, on cardiovascular health. But while mania wins on severity, depression beats out for frequency. Depression makes up 30 to 60% of the lifespan in bipolar disorder, compared to 5 to 10% for hypomania and manic symptoms. So meds like these that take a big chip out of the depressive pole are taking a giant step for physical health as well, one that, in the big picture, might cancel out the various black box warnings that would otherwise dissuade us from using them. So don't let the lamotrigine rash, the renal compromise on lithium, or quetiapine's metabolic risks dissuade you from using these drugs. Patients feel better when they take them, and that doesn't necessarily come at a cost to their physical health. These meds prolong life for the average patient with bipolar disorder. That is, if prolonging life is the goal of medicine. When I first learned about this study, I was really excited to share the news with my patients. I would tell them, 
Quetiapine that you're taking has a lot of medical risks, you know, but people actually live longer when they take it. And I went on like that for a couple weeks until a dysthymic patient looked at me straight on and said, Dr. Aiken, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not suicidal or anything, but I don't want to live a long life. That study came out in 2013, and since then, new antipsychotics have come out for bipolar depression that are better tolerated than quetiapine, like lorazidone and lumetaparone. And maybe these prolong life more than quetiapine, but we don't have the data to say, and there are arguments that point the other way. Quetiapine is the only antipsychotic with robust preventative effects in bipolar disorder, and it has unique benefits for sleep and anxiety that other antipsychotics do not. On the other hand, we can see a lot of reasons to avoid quetiapine. Patients often call back after starting it, falling from the hypertension or unable to rise out of bed from the sedation. And if they do make it past the starting line, there's long-term weight gain. We're certainly not saying you should give quetiapine to every patient with bipolar disorder, but you shouldn't be afraid to use it. Rewind to our October 2021 episode on the best and worst antipsychotics in mania to learn more about this rough gem. Turning to schizophrenia, we see something even more remarkable with the underutilized antipsychotic, clozapine. It's hard to imagine a psych med more dangerous than clozapine, with its 1 in 100 chances of causing potentially fatal agranulocytosis, not to mention seizures, arrhythmias, metabolic syndrome, and a side effect that has recently surpassed the fatality rate on agranulocytosis, paralytic ileus a type of severe, severe constipation. But here is the surprise. When people with schizophrenia take clozapine, they live an average of 10 years longer compared to those who take other antipsychotics, according to around a dozen studies. This finding is hard to explain. Clozapine has more medical risks than the other antipsychotics, and it is selectively given to those with more severe illness, including those who self-harm. Clozapine is FDA-approved for reducing suicidal behavior in schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorders. Some have speculated that these patients live longer because they get their labs checked more often, but I doubt that a monthly CBC is going to add another week to my life, much less 10 years. The best explanation I can come up with is that schizophrenia is a mind-body illness, and clozapine brings about a fuller recovery than other antipsychotics, and thus a healthier body and a longer life. The way we approach this shines a light on stigma. I mean, if someone had breast cancer, they are given all the options. Partial mastectomy, total mastectomy, chemo, radiation. We don't wait for it to get metastatic before bringing out the full shebang. But in schizophrenia, we wait for two failed trials before offering clozapine. And even then, only one in five patients in the U.S. who are eligible for it actually end up taking it. If we were oncologists, this would be an embarrassment. Schizophrenia and bipolar disorder are not the only conditions where treatment extends life. People with ADHD live about four years longer on average if the disorder is treated. Stimulants have clear cardiac risks. They're not, like, good for your health. 
But when ADHD is treated, people have fewer accidents and take better care of their medical health. Quetiapine, lithium, and clozapine carry medical risks that might dissuade their use, but our job is to balance those risks with the benefits. And in the right patient, the balance is clear. They extend life rather than shortening it. But what about the quality of that life? Are these patients thriving, enjoying life, or are they struggling with daily tolerability problems? Fatigue, emotional blunting, cognitive problems, nausea, and tremor? Kelly, I know you have a cool study on that, but can I first give my two cents from experience? When I started practice, I did not want to prescribe lithium or clozapine hardly at all because I thought patients would hate these meds. They would be intolerable. I figured those medications were for patients with refractory disorders who went to the hospital several times a year. I was wrong. Even though most of my patients function well enough to hold jobs, many have gone from struggling to thriving on those meds. And the idea that these medications are not tolerable is one of the biggest myths in the industry. Most of the pharmaceutical advertising budget is spent trying to convince us that their meds are safe. They are normal. Everybody's using them. I realized this when patients with mild disorders started asking me for antipsychotics to manage stress. The same patients would refuse a med like MSAM, the MAOI, which has a low advertising budget because it was too scary for them. They were swayed by the normalizing antipsychotic advertisements and I was the one who had to read them all the black box warnings to dissuade them. But if we look back in history, lithium was once heavily advertised as a health supplement. The wealthy flocked to lithium spas, and President Grover Cleveland ordered lithium water shipped to the White House. When it comes to side effects that matter most to patients, lithium has an edge. The rate of fatigue on lithium is 1 in 28, compared to 1 in 4 for many antipsychotics. Weight gain is less on lithium, and patients can do something about it. Tell them to drink water instead of caloric beverages because lithium is going to make them really thirsty. And lithium has a more favorable cognitive profile than the antipsychotics. People vote with their feet, and when it comes to that bottom line, patients actually prefer lithium and clozapine. According to a fresh-off-the-press finished study from the Journal of Affective Disorders by Jean Lintunen and colleagues, they looked at three years of pharmacy fill rates for 33,000 patients with bipolar disorder, including clozapine. Finland has the highest rate of clozapine prescriptions in the world, and clozapine is used off-label even in the U.S. for refractory mania. The bottom line? Lithium and clozapine had the lowest rates of non-adherence. Lithium even beat out lamotrigine. Overall, adherence was higher for lithium and the anticonvulsants than it was for the antipsychotics. But quetiapine had one of the highest adherence rates in the antipsychotic class. Whatever side effects these meds have, they were outweighed by the changes they made in these patients' lives. Lithium, quetiapine, and clozapine are not the only meds that we tend to avoid for the wrong reasons. We're going to cover more, including bupropion, trazodone, and disulfiram antabuse in a future episode. And now for the study of the day. 
mood stabilizers, and risk of all-cause natural and suicide mortality and bipolar disorder, a nationwide cohort study by Pao Huan Chen and colleagues from Acta Psychiatrica Scandinavia. Earlier in this podcast, we talked about a 2013 study of mortality and bipolar disorder, and this new 2023 study from Taiwan updates those figures. They followed 26,000 patients with bipolar disorder over 16 years and looked at which medications were associated with the longest lifespans. Here's what they found. All mood stabilizers were associated with a lower risk of mortality, around 50% lower, both from suicide and from medical problems. And the reduction in mortality was greatest with lithium, both for suicide and for medical problems. Get more research updates like these through Dr. Aiken's LinkedIn or Twitter feeds at Chris Aiken MD or follow me on LinkedIn, Kelly Newsom PMHMP. Subscribe to our online journal and get $30 off your first year subscription with the promo code podcast. The CoLab Report is one of the few CME publications that depends entirely on subscribers. Thank you for helping us stay free of commercial support.